Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Shows hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. And we are now nearing the end of our fourth season, Haunted New Orleans. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, we suggest you start listening to the Haunted New Orleans season with episode 53, which is where the season begins and where we set the stage for the many dark tales ahead. In each episode of the season, we've revealed the history, mystery, spirits, scandals, and sins of New Orleans, a city we believe is the most haunted in America. So check the closets, look under the beds, hang a wreath of garlic at the window, grab the crucifix, and get ready for the next bloody episode of Haunted New Orleans. that the city of New Orleans, as I just mentioned in the opening to the show, is the most haunted city in America. However, over the last 30 years or so, it's also become the modern-day capital of another alleged supernatural creature, the vampire. If you like to dress up like a vampire, or actually think you are a vampire, then this is the city for you. New Orleans embraces every kind of alternative lifestyle, so vampires are no exception. Vampire-like creatures have existed in the folklore of the world since almost the beginning of recorded history, dating back even to the legends of the Sumerians, the Babylonians, and the ancient Egyptians. But a true traditional vampire was originally a Slavic monster, bringing fear to the superstitious in Eastern Europe, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, the Balkan countries, and their neighbors. Even the word vampire is an adaptation of the word vampire, which also had close ties to Bulgarian and Russian words that, well, pretty much mean the same thing. It's believed that the vampire legend began to grow in notoriety around the 16th century. Within the next few decades, a considerable amount of vampire activity began to be reported, creating eerie tales and haunting stories throughout the region. By the 1700s, all of Europe began to be obsessed by these undead creatures who left their coffins at night, drained the blood of the living, and could only be defended against by holy water, crucifixes, and of course the ever-popular stake through the heart. New Orleans vampire lore began around this same time, when young French girls began arriving at the old Ursuline convent, getting off the boat with the casket-shaped boxes that held all their belongings. They'd been brought to the colony as potential wives for the love-starved male settlers who had previously been chasing Choctaw women through the woods looking for affection. The girls from France were known as the filet de caisse, or the casket girls. Their casket boxes were stored in the convent's attic on the third floor. When some of those cases were discovered to be empty, rather than think that a light-fingered sailor had stolen their possessions, superstitious citizens spread rumors that the casket girls had smuggled vampires into New Orleans. The stories say that the caskets are still stored in the attic today. One look at the convent reveals something alarming. All the third floor shutters on the windows of the attic are bolted and permanently sealed. Why? Well, surely not so that the shutters won't be ripped off by hurricane winds. No, no, no. It must be because it's to keep the vampires shuttered inside. And the story gets better. In 1978, two wannabe investigators requested to see the caskets on the third floor of the convent. The archdiocese, not surprisingly, denied their request. Unwilling to take no for an answer, they returned that night, climbed over the wall, and set up recording equipment in the courtyard. 
The next day, their equipment was found scattered around the property, and the two men were found dead on the porch steps. The murders, (laughs) if they happened at all, and I've had a tough time documenting that, were never solved. It's not surprising that the Ursuline nuns became the subject of such nasty rumors. They were, of course, a very scandalous bunch. They not only offered the first school in America to teach girls, they were also the first to offer educations to African-American children, too. So, of course, they have been sheltering vampires for 200 years. New Orleans' most famous real vampire is the Comte de Saint-Germain. He was a French alchemist of the 18th century who claimed to have the elixir of life, and he often boasted that he was 6,000 years old. He knew more about science and history than most people in his time and spoke at least 10 languages, including ancient Greek and Sanskrit. He was also a great storyteller and became a favorite in the court of Louis XV of France. He was invited to many banquets in the finest homes in Paris, but he reportedly never ate a thing. The first record of his suspected immortality was at a party at the mansion of Madame de Pompadour in 1760. An elderly guest confused him as the son of Comte Saint-Germain that she knew back in 1710. But she discovered that it was the same man that she had known. He just hadn't aged a day. Well, decades passed and Saint-Germain continued to entertain the wealthy and elite of France and the rest of Europe. His talents included the violin, a deep knowledge of medicine, and he was also a master painter. The philosopher Voltaire called Saint-Germain, quote, a man who never dies and knows everything. There were reports that he finally did die in Hamburg, Germany in 1784, and yet a French noblewoman claimed she saw him in Paris nine years later in the crowd to witness the beheading of Marie Antoinette. Was it the same man or someone who just looked like him? Well, that's an interesting question considering the mysterious man that came to New Orleans in 1902. Using the name Jacques Saint-Germain, he moved into a luxurious building at the corner of Ursulines and Royal. He told people that he had immigrated to the city from the south of France and that he was a descendant of the famous Comte de Saint-Germain. While very wealthy, Saint-Germain never really became part of the community. He wasn't welcomed into the upper-crust society. He was described as charming, very intelligent, a master of languages, and a wonderful guest to have at parties as long as he knew when to exit gracefully at the end of the evening. In public, Saint-Germain seemed to have a different woman on his arm every night. One cold night in December, he picked up a woman in a local pub and brought her home with him. Later that night, she threw herself from a second-story window. As bystanders rushed to help her, they saw that she was covered in blood and her throat was torn open as if she'd been mauled by a dog. The wound and all the blood had not come from the fall. The woman cried that St. Germain had attacked her. He'd rushed at her suddenly and he'd begun biting her savagely on the neck. She got free and she jumped from the window and she died later that evening at Charity Hospital. Well, when New Orleans police officers forced their way into St. Germain's home to arrest him, he was gone. There was no trace of him other than bloodstains on the wooden floor. He packed his things and he'd vanished, but he left something behind. Wine bottles that were filled with human blood.
One morning in early 1932, a terrified young girl entered the New Orleans police station. She was covered in blood and her wrists had been cut. She claimed that two men had kidnapped her, tied her up, and then slit her wrists, draining her blood into a cup before drinking it. Then they bandaged her wounds and repeated the ritual for the next three nights. The authorities rushed her to the hospital, but not before discovering that she knew the address where the two men lived, 622 St. Anne Street. The house belonged to the Carter brothers, Wayne and John, and they seemed to have a normal life. They made a living working each day on the docks, unloading fresh seafood, but their nighttime activities were, well, a little different. The two men believed they were vampires. The police rushed to their home and found four victims. Three of them were still alive, and the fourth, a nine-year-old girl, was dead. Hidden in the house, they allegedly found 15 other bodies, all of them drained of blood. The Carters initially escaped from the trap the police laid for them, but they were eventually captured and executed in the electric chair in 1936. However, over the next few years, the police had more than 20 calls about break-ins in homes across the city. The description of the prowlers matched the Carter brothers. Legend has it that their tomb was opened, but their coffins were empty. And that's not all. The stories go on to say that every winter, the brothers returned to their old home on St. Anne Street. According to previous owners of the building, they had just perched it, came home one evening to see two figures standing on the second floor balcony. They called out to them and the figures leapt off and vanished. Ghosts? Vampires? We may never know. Mostly because documentation of these killers is, well, also non-existent. In 1933, the police were called to an alley off Royal Street, where on two consecutive nights, young women, who were assumed to be prostitutes, had their throats torn out. They'd been completely drained of blood. The medical examiner believed the bites were human. A witness to one of the assaults claimed that he saw a tall figure effortlessly make his way by escaping over a 12-foot-high fence. Another popular tale of vampire murders in New Orleans reportedly occurred as recently as 1984. There were allegedly nine people found in various spots in the French Quarter, all dead and all with their throats torn out. Eerily, though, there was no blood left at the scene. Officials were dumbfounded and the cases remain unsolved to this day. But as one tour guide noted, the locals know the truth. Again, the New Orleans police have displayed their masterful skills at keeping these incidents out of the newspapers and out of official reports. The closest thing to these murders that can be found were two unsolved killings in 1978, but I don't think anyone seriously considered a vampire to be the culprit. Although, as so many locals will tell you, paranormal incidents like this are hidden in plain sight from city officials because they can't handle the truth. If you could see me right now, you'd know my eyes were rolling. Anyway, um, this does not mean there are no vampires in New Orleans. In fact, it's the vampire capital of America, mostly thanks to one person, author Anne Rice. She published her first novel, Interview with a Vampire, in 1976, and it was set mostly in New Orleans. By the time she followed it with The Vampire Lestat, she was a fixture at the top of bestseller lists and had established New Orleans as the go-to spot for the goth vampire crowd. They became an underground subculture in the city with private clubs, meeting places, fang makers, and conventions. They even had their own bar for years, although their influences faded a bit over time. In the 1990s, though, if you wanted
wanted to meet up with the vampire crowd, you went to the dungeon on Toulouse Street. It has a foreboding entrance down a narrow, dark alley, and the inside really does feel like a dungeon. The restrooms are hidden behind swinging bookcases to confuse the mortals, and the bar and dance floor can be found upstairs. Music blasts at a level to, well, <laughs> wake the dead. Of course, not every vampire in New Orleans believes they are a real vampire. They simply embrace the lifestyle, and, well, who can blame them? The real world lately has not been all that it's cracked up to be. We have one more story of blood and guts before we send you off for the evening, inevitably to bolt all your doors and lock the windows. This one doesn't involve vampires, but it has enough gore in it to more than wet the whistle of anyone who pretends to be one. What came to be known as the New Orleans trunk murders was one of the most gruesome crimes in the city's history, and interestingly, its infamy was tied to one of New Orleans' classic ghost stories, the so-called sausage ghost. So you kind of know where the story's going, right? The French Quarter in the 1920s was not the kind of place it is now. It wasn't filled with bars and shops and fine dining restaurants. It wasn't even the home of the city's Creole elite. After the Civil War, wealthier residents had moved to the garden suburbs along Esplanade Avenue, St. Charles Avenue, and further uptown to escape urban nuisances such as warehouses and sugar refineries. The French Quarter was mostly a working class neighborhood of folks who lived close to where they worked. Newly arrived immigrants from Sicily settled in large numbers in the French Quarter beginning in the 1880s, and the years that followed were unfortunately stained by a spate of crime. Even so, the trunk murder stood out as an exceptional case of violence that both rattled and fascinated the city. On the afternoon of Thursday, October 27, 1927, Nettie Compass entered a second-floor apartment at 715 Ursuline Street to do some cleaning. As soon as she walked inside, she saw the blood. A lot of blood. She called for help. Someone dialed the police. When officers arrived, they were horrified to find two small traveling trunks that had been packed with the expertly butchered bodies of two young women. There was blood on the floor, on the bed, the walls, the ceiling, the bathroom, and, oh yeah, they found a collection of severed fingers on the floor. The parish coroner determined that the killer had first bludgeoned the woman with a billy club that was weighted with lead, and then he'd cut off their heads and severed their arms and legs to, of course, make them fit in the trunks. The cuts had been made by someone, he said, highly skilled, and they'd been made without hesitation. In a deep gash in the back of one of the victims, the authorities found a gold wedding band. They also searched through the clothing that had been tossed out of the trunks to make room for the corpses and discovered the identities of the two victims, Teresa and Leonard Moiti. They were both in their mid-twenties and were married to two brothers, Henry and Joseph Moiti. Not much is known about the two women. The newspaper coverage of the time, as well as the testimonies of those who knew them, focused most of its attention on the victim's husbands, who focused mostly on the women's alleged cheating and their bad parenting. The only other information that exists came from a story that was written by Leonard. It was found in the cabinet in her room, and it's believed to be a semi-autobiographical account that she tried to get published in a popular women's magazine. A blood-stained rejection slip from the magazine was found at the crime scene. The story's about a woman who found joy after a failed marriage and, despite being poor, found happiness with her husband and children. And yes, she ended the story with a warning for any young girl who read it. It said, quote, Be careful, for marriage is a life sentence. 
After the gruesome discovery of the two murdered women, the police began to try to locate their husbands. Leonard's husband, Joseph, turned himself in that night, but Henry was nowhere to be found. Both couples and their young children lived in the small apartment. Joseph told police he had recently moved out after catching Leonard with another man. Neighbors reported bitter fights over money, constant accusations of infidelity, and wild drinking bouts in the household. The police soon got a tip about the missing Henry. He was on his way to a boarding house on Camp Street, and from there he planned to escape the city by ship. Investigators radioed the seven ships sailing out of New Orleans that day to be on the lookout for Henry, who was described as having dark bushy hair, very dark brown eyes, and tattoo marks on his arms of a flower with a lady's face and a nude woman. On January, October 29th, two days after the women's bodies were discovered, crewmen of the freighter Jem reported that Henry was aboard their ship. He begged his way onto the ship using a false name, but the crew recognized his tattoos from the newspaper stories about the crimes. At police headquarters, Henry was given the incentive to confess. He claimed to have a reason for the murders, but also insisted that his mind had been warped by alcohol. A common affliction in New Orleans, by the way. He said he had been enraged by an affair that he believed his life was having with the couple's landlord, Joseph Caruso. In Henry's version of events, he was provoked to vengeance by Teresa's imminent plans to leave him, in addition to her infidelities and the neglect of their children. He also resented his sister-in-law, Leonard, because she was a negative influence on his wife, he said. But this was no spur-of-the-moment killing. The afternoon before the murders, he told the housekeeper, Nettie Compass, the woman who would later discover the victims, that he should, quote, "...take a pistol and shoot both of these bastards." Later that evening, Nettie said she saw Henry, Teresa, Leonard, and the children leave the apartment in good spirits. Nettie testified that she remembered Henry pulling her aside and whispering not to be scared if Nettie and her family heard the children crying in the early morning. Good grief. Remember how the coroner had been impressed with the skill of whoever cut up the two women? Well, before coming to New Orleans, Henry worked as a butcher's assistant. His boss said he was the best butcher he ever saw. The two murders were tried separately by different judges, but Henry was found guilty in both cases and sentenced to two concurrent life terms in prison. He began his sentences at the Louisiana State Penitentiary on July 6, 1928. In 1934, he was made a trustee of the prison, meaning he was given special responsibility, uh, special assignments, and was less heavily guarded than other prisoners. Bad idea, as that turned out. In the summer of 1944, on a routine trip to the post office, Henry simply hired a taxi to take him to Hammond, Louisiana. From there, he caught the Illinois Central Panama Limited en route to Chicago. Amazingly, the superintendent of the prison camp was unconcerned. He predicted Henry would soon return of his own accord since he had served 16 years of his sentence and had a chance of being pardoned due to temporary insanity thanks to his consumption of alcohol at the time of the killings. Well, he didn't, but they caught him anyway. Two years later, in 1946, Henry was stopped for suspicious behavior by police in St. Louis, Missouri. When he admitted his identity, he was returned to prison in Louisiana. Despite his two-year vacation, the Louisiana Pardon Board recommended his release in 1947. He'd served just 21 years for the butchery of his wife and his sister-in-law. But, and I know you won't be shocked by this, his early release turned out to be a terrible mistake, especially for another young girl who almost lost her life. After getting out of prison, Henry moved to California. At a Los Angeles hotel in 1956, Henry shot his girlfriend, 
Alberta Orange, in the chest, puncturing her lung. He was sentenced to five years at Folsom Prison for an attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. But this time, he wouldn't get out. Henry died of a stroke in 1957 while serving his term at Folsom. But that's not quite the end of the story. Memory of Henry's bloody crime endures because of the theme it shares with a popular New Orleans ghost story. The legend of the sausage ghost tells of a mid-19th century German immigrant, Mr. Hans Mueller, who opened a sausage factory on the ground floor of his property at 725 Ursland Street, just a few doors down from the building where the Moiti family lived. The story goes that Hans Mueller killed his wife and, to hide his crimes, made sausages out of her body and served them out of his butcher shop for weeks. Only to be found out after a customer bit into a piece of meat and found Mrs. Mueller's wedding ring inside. Her ghost is said to have haunted the sausage shop, driving Mueller insane. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity at his trial and sent to the state asylum. Well, soon after, another man bought the sausage factory, but Mrs. Mueller's ghost continued to appear. For months, he had a terrible time keeping workers, and no one would stay in the building after dark. Finally, the ghost stopped appearing, and the new owner learned that Hans Mueller had committed suicide at the asylum at about the same time. Apparently, Mrs. Mueller's need for revenge had been satisfied. Henry Moiti's past employment as a butcher's assistant was a key point at both of his trials. And on November 2nd, 1927, from behind bars awaiting trial, he was reported by the newspapers to have threatened the man with whom he believed his wife had been unfaithful. If I ever get my hands on that Joe Caruso, he said, I'll chop him up into little pieces, not big pieces like my wife, but little pieces. By God, I'll make him look like something that's been run through the sausage mill. There's one thing that the American Hauntings podcast knows about, and that's mothers. We featured a lot of great mothers in a lot of our episodes. Pearl Curran, Julia Lemp, Sarah Moore, Marie Laveau, Jane Mansfield, Tamsin Donner, Delphine LaLaurie, Belle Gunness. Okay, maybe leave out those last two. But what I'm saying is that with Mother's Day coming soon, you need a truly special gift for your mom because, well, she's not Belle Gunness. So let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that literally turns your mom's life story into a book. So here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your mom a question in her email, the same way she sends you questions about your dating life or when you plan to give her grandkids. Anyway, these can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. She replies by either typing in the answers or by recording her own voice. Then mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a keepsake book. And they can create an audiobook that uses her voice recordings, preserving her voice and her stories forever. As anyone who doesn't have their mom around anymore can tell you, having your mother's stories about growing up, being a kid, and overcoming life's challenges will be something that you and your kids will treasure. And let's be honest, your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a very cool way to share them. 
Honestly, I decided to try this out for myself and I sent it to my mom. And she's not exactly a whiz at computers, but she still found it really easy to use. My mom might have had a little more unusual childhood than a lot of mothers do. So I'm really glad to have this. And I think you'll be glad to give one to your mother too. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code HAUNTINGS at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code HAUNTINGS for 10% off today. Hey everyone, Cody here. Quick note before we get started, full disclosure, we recorded this episode a little bit last minute and I ran into a bunch of technical issues and so the audio's not that great, but we're working on it. It won't sound this way next episode and uh, let's just pray that Troy doesn't kill me before we record that one. So without further ado, please enjoy New Orleans Vampires. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now nearing the end of season four of the podcast, Haunted New Orleans. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, well, here we are um, in person again. Yes. So it's been yeah. a hell of a day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it has. Can I, can I tell you about everything that's happened to me so far, real quick? Because you don't know the half of it. Yet. Oh, okay. I, mean, I only know the last, what time is it now? It is four Two p.m. hours that I've been waiting to do this. So, so. I've been up for about 11 and a half hours. Um, I woke up at 4 30, couldn't fall back asleep. So just laid there for a while, tossed around, sun came up, and I was like, up about nine. Well, that must be nice. Yeah. Um, so Today. I, I ran a 5K. I oh. found a baby deer off Olive that was lost and running into the glass trying to figure out where to go. Uh, ran to find a policeman. What glass? There's glass on this building on Olive. It's oh. like, yeah, fa- f- found a deer anyway. Okay. Found a cop finally. Went back with the cop, couldn't find the deer. Then the cop proceeded to what? Knock it him down drew, and chase him? Drew out the weapon. Threw yeah. tear gas at him. <laughs> Don't unload the clip, please. Um, and so did that. And then um, I went to help my sister with a 48-hour film project that they're doing. It's like we have 48 hours to basically make a short film. Sat in the... For what? It's like a competition. I think it's called like the 48-hour oh. film project or something. Okay. They do it every year. Uh, huh. It was so hot. Um, the police yeah, showed up to that, hot. too, because they didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Um, tased you. They knocked t- you yeah, down. They tased us. Um, Tear gassed you. No, it was... It, Beat you with rubber batons. You know what did yeah. make me mad is the cop literally said, he goes, oh, Lisa gives me something to do. I was like, oh, really? you, don't, you don't have enough going Nothing. on? Nothing anyway, do. moving on. Um, so I did that, and then I uh, got all my stuff together, went to Kalen's, then came here, and uh, didn't have the right pieces because we got a new laptop and everything's just gone to hell. And here yeah. we are 12 And hours then later. went and got new pieces and it still doesn't work. It still so, won't work. Yeah. So thank you, Steve Jobs, yeah, for Thanks all of that. for the new laptop. Yes, so. thanks for the new laptop. But you know what? I'm happy. We're in person. We've been hanging out. It's fun. <laughs> yes. We had some good little mini beer drinks. Yes. Um, and I'm just happy to be, you know, above ground. So what's going on with you, man? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> We're still just kind of waiting out everything that's going on so but it won't be much longer yeah things will be opened back up 
more completely than they are now rather than the you know outdoor seating kind of thing so we're just waiting for phase four to finally kick in so that we can you know actually have tours again yeah uh, so it's been a bit what well, we've had any this year because all this started before our tour season actually began so luckily i did a couple of tours and we had a few dinners early in the year which we had dead of winter mm -hmm. uh but then uh, we've been sitting ever since so uh my next event is july 18th so still a month away mm -hmm. but um i don't know not sure i'm gonna know how to act in public anymore so yeah yeah i feel after all this time i feel slightly feral you or something. Yeah, yeah yeah so like i've been living in the woods somewhere so uh luckily we've been you know mostly in touch uh with with our our you know our readers and our friends and things online uh which has helped this go a lot better than it would have otherwise mm -hmm. that's for sure because i can't imagine if we'd have had no contact whatsoever with anybody for the last three months, yeah, it really would have been bad. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that things are moving along, you know, slowly but surely. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So, really well, do. this past Saturday we had our first uh, live stream event that we were planning. Mm -hmm. um, well, we didn't. We it, I, I made that sound like we've been planning it for months. We right. we haven't. Um, but we did a live stream event through Zoom uh, on the Bell Witch last weekend. And we've got another one coming up this coming weekend, which is the spirit world, you know, uh, Ouija boards and seances and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. So that's coming up this weekend. Uh, we still have spots left for it. So if anybody's interested, we can always get more people into our Zoom yeah. room or yeah, whatever it's room. called. So uh, anyway, so keep an eye out for that. And you can go to the website at AmericanHauntings.net and find the details on it. And then we'll of course have our dinner events coming up in July and August. Uh, so um, in probably a week, two, two weeks, I guess, we'll, we'll post our fall schedule. Uh, we'll be back out and up and down. We'll have our tours coming for fall. We always post those at the end of June. And so that's, that's the plan is to get those up before the 4th of July, we'll have ghost hunts and we'll have dinners and uh, River Road tours and all that stuff will be posted by the end of the month. So um, people can finally get out of the house and start yeah. doing some stuff again. Um, with the ghost hunts, the great thing about the ghost hunts is that they are always small groups. Mm -hmm. And even the dinners and things are going to be under the minimum for phase four yeah. and all that stuff. So anybody who's worried about that kind of thing doesn't need to be. We we keep um, even we, you know, we did a couple of events right before the lockdown started and you know, we made sure there was hand sanitizer and stuff. Nobody got sick from it. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about any of that kind of stuff. So uh, I think we'll be in good shape by then. So uh, the only other thing that I want to mention is um, the upcoming release uh, or upcoming pre-orders of what looks to be uh, my very last, oh man, I hope it's my last, uh -huh. secret quarantine project. I don't want any more quarantine projects, although it has been fun. But um, just this past week, we announced that it will be called In the Boneyard, History and Hauntings of American Cemeteries. And that's going to be histories of funerals and cemetery customs, it's premature burials, cemetery desecrations, vampires, ghosts, haunted cemetery statues, curses and then my book within a book which is going to be the girl by the side of the road the resurrection mary thing uh, -huh. uh that's got that photograph of marie bergovi that has right. never been seen before so um that will be in the book so um the pre-orders on that are going to start june 26th uh right which would have been 
the conference. conference, And that was, this would have been my book for the conference this year. And instead, you know, we're going to be doing it online, but we will be doing, um, we'll have an episode. um, Actually, this will be our last episode before that. I guess I better mention that because I was just thinking our next episode will be after what would have been a conference weekend. Mm -hmm. And we will be having on the 27th and we'll have details on this. Keep an eye on the on the Troy Taylor Facebook page, but we'll have details about it. But we're going to be doing a day long thing where we're going to be posting up videos from various people from the conference, speakers and presenters who would have been at the conference. We're, we're going to have them putting together short videos that are going to go up on the page staggered throughout the day. And I will have a schedule of when that will all be released. Um, June the 26th, the Friday was going to be the pre-orders for the new book. Um, I'll also doing a live stream that night talking about the next day's events. And then we will post a schedule of how the events are going to go on that Saturday. Um, everything is going to be on the page. So if you can't watch it when it happens, um, you can always go back and watch it later. But for those of you who want to see it, I'll be doing a live thing that morning to kick it off. And then we'll be posting up uh, videos recorded by all the participants throughout the day. So uh, like I said, I'll have a schedule posted up for that. So perfect. Yeah. So it should be cool. Yeah. So, it's I mean, it's, it's the best of a bad situation. Yeah. We're trying to make a lemonade out of lemons here. So that's that's pretty much where we're at. But I still think it'll be kind of fun and yeah. kind of cool that we at least got to do something. So. Yeah, I still want to figure out something to do too. For that. Yeah, I yeah, think it'd be you fun, should, but. you should. I gotta have it by, well, uh, I needed it yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, then, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna I just I'm gonna realize go rogue. June fifteenth. I'm gonna go so, rogue yeah. and do uh, yeah my own thing. But uh, <laughs> you know, like mom used to say, when life gives you lemons, just get some vodka, mm-hmm. and we'll figure it all out. Exactly. Um, let's dive into some listener reviews here. Uh, sure. I only have the one right now because we're we're kind of we recorded last we just weekend, recorded. which never happens. No, no, um, it doesn't. But, we don't usually do them quite yes, this but close you were, together. You were very nice and offered since I'm going out of town. You're going to be gone. We travel yeah. in Denver. You're like, hey, I'll help you out. And then I just fucking ruin everything. But anyway, <laughs> here, so those review, it's from uh, B3XZ. Uh, it's just titled Favorite Podcast. It says, I've been listening to this podcast since early 2018 and it never disappoints. I don't know about that. Um, I love the mix of history, <laughs> paranormal, and the banter at the end, exclamation point. Um, so thank you so much. It's really nice when people leave nice reviews and don't make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate that. It helps everybody find the show. And that's more important now than ever since, you know, there are 800 million podcasts. You there were more podcasts like launched during this. Well, yeah, nobody had anything else to it, do. Exactly, exactly. And the funny thing was, is that I think listenership was down on podcasts because people weren't driving back and forth Listen, to work. So listenership so, was down, but for yeah. us, it didn't not, actually, we, oh, didn't, well, that's we didn't take a huge dip, which, but I was thinking about that too. It's like, I always listen to podcasts on my way to work. Are you implying that like all of our listeners are unemployed or something on a normal, regular basis? We'll talk don't about don't this. do we'll that. talk about this yeah. off air. Okay, I'm kidding. Um, but no, but I was thinking about that. It's like, my, everybody's routines are just changed, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's completely to, different. Yeah, I have to figure out ways to listen, but people are still listening to us, so I really appreciate that. Cool. Uh, are you ready to dive into this? Yeah. So re- my first... <laughs> I guess. I guess. This actually turned out to be... I should probably tell you this right up front. Yeah. There isn't anything in this episode that I had planned to put in the podcast. I really didn't. I um, made it work. I had no I had I had no plan to put anything about New Orleans vampires in the podcast. I couldn't see how I could make it work. And then it just sort of seemed to fit in the murder section because of the stories. And the second story that I added in here, 
I was actually looking for something else. I was looking for the Carter brothers. Yeah. The, the two guys right. that, that supposedly were draining blood from people. I was looking for some more information on that. Actually just trying to find out if there was yeah. any reality to the story at all. Yeah. And then ran across the Trump murder by mistake. And then it, it because it tied into, you know, awesome. a, a fairly standard I mean, that's pretty much the uh, the, the Lutgert sausage factory story from Chicago, mm -hmm. except moved to New Orleans. Um, since it tied into a ghost story, I thought, you know what? Let's include it. So yeah. this this really this this entire episode was off the cuff. I just sat down and put this together. I didn't have anything that I had written about this before. So, um, but I mean. I've known plenty of these people. Yeah. Over the years. I mean, I used to go down and. And so I don't know, Lisa might remember when we were on a tour that um, I think it might have been one you were on with that. Did you ever go on any of the tours that Kalila actually led our tour? OK, I couldn't remember one year we were down and and we were somewhere and she was talking about vampires and she goes, Troy, you remember so and so. I'm like, yeah, don't don't tell people I know, these people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember when we were down in New Orleans, we did that vampire tour. I remember yeah. the Carter it's Brothers. fun. It's a fun. It's tour. great. We did the Carter Brothers yeah. thing specifically. And at the yeah. end of it, you lean over to me. You're like, this probably didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Like, oh, cool. No, I couldn't find any great. evidence that any of it happened, but it's they were great stories. No, they are great stories. stories. Like I said, anyway, but let's yeah. not let we the truth get dive in. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting ahead of the story. So, yeah. So my so. first note here is just all caps. Except we're talking about fucking vampires. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. really excited. So well, I mean, it's a, it has become such a, over the last thirty years or so. It's a big part of New Orleans. Now, yeah, you know, but we'll, all because of Anne Rice. But still, we'll exactly. get to that. I guess exactly. So. Yeah, Anne Rice, Tom Cruise. We'll figure it all out. But so you said vampires have existed in folklore dating back to the Sumerians, Babylonians, ancient Egyptians. So I mean, some of the oldest you know yeah. civilizations that we know of. But you said a true traditional vampire was originally a Slavic monster. Vampire uh, legend began to grow in notoriety around the 16th century. Vampire uh, New Orleans vampire lore began around the same time when young French girls began arriving at the old Ursuline convent, getting off the boat with the casket-shaped boxes that held other belongings, which the casket girls we talked right. about. Right, we talked about that ago. early, early on. But yeah. can you remind me, why were there boxes and stuff shaped like caskets? Well, I, they just were long boxes and they looked like. I mean, because they were oh, so the they shape the of angles them. that I'm thinking. No, here, not that I'm aware of. I mean, um, you know, I've seen people reproduce them that way because technically a casket, a casket is the shape for the shoulders with narrow, uh -huh, it gets right. narrow at the bottom. Right. And a coffin is just a rectangle. But uh, people use that so interchangeably. I didn't even think about that. So, I mean, I haven't, I, I maybe I should have looked, but I don't think I've ever seen um exactly what those were supposed to have looked like sure. or what they did look like. Uh, but they called them casket girls. So maybe they were shaped that way. I don't know. Seems but that like doesn't work. Well, it also doesn't seem very practical to put no, your belongings in either. My guess is that they were just boxes that looked like coffins and that, you know, the, you know, the French, right. It's the French, you it's know, the they French. gave it a, yeah, they gave it a, you know, a fancier name than it deserved. But I actually had a tour guide who told me, and this yeah. is not anybody we know. This has been years and years and years so ago. So it's fair game. Yeah. So it's, it's not a good tour guide, but I actually had a tour guy who took me to the convent and told me this story and swore to me that it was absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> Even then, I mean, then this would have been, oh gosh, I mean, this is probably 20, 
plus years ago. Yeah. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. So now they tell these stories on the vampire tour kind of tongue in cheek. They're more like true crime tours. Yeah. That are, yeah. You know, with vampire overtones, you know, and talk about, well, this was filmed. This was, you know, this house was in the movie, you know, in, in yeah, yeah, the yeah. vampire, that kind of stuff. And so that I can kind of, I can get into that, but sure. you know, don't, please don't, you know, pee on my boot and tell me it's raining, right? right you know, right, right. but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm again, getting ahead of the you're story. Good, good. I'm, I apologize. No, 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 you're good. So, okay. Uh, so you, just real briefly, you mentioned two wannabe investigators <laughs> uh, may have tried to see the casket stored in the Ursuline convict attic and were found murdered on the yeah, doorstep, allegedly. Yeah, that's somehow it may, didn't make it in any of the newspapers or any of your official reports, well, but they're, somehow, they're word of mouth, everyone knows the don't story. Don't want the truth so. to get out. I know. Um, how do I pronounce this? Do you know what I'm going to say? The uh, Saint Germain. Oh, Comte de Saint Germain. So it's just Comte. Okay. It's Comte. Comte, Comte de okay. Saint Germain, which I tried to keep that out of there because I knew you. Thank you. I but, just tried to keep Saint Germain. But I'm trying to. I'm trying to. And that's probably not, that's the way I always hear it pronounced. Yes. And there may be a fancier way of pronouncing it in France, but mm -hmm. the New Orleans version they just call it uh, Saint Germain. Got it. Okay. So, well, then we're just going with Saint Germain. Okay. Yeah. French alchemist. That's how I've always heard it down there. French alchemist, 18th century, who claimed to have the elixir of life. Now he was a real person. Yeah. I mean, he he really was a real person. But I mean, I don't think any of these things about him were true. And yes. you know, Voltaire did have really did have a quote about him. But I love that. I quote. think he may have been being a little more florid. I don't think he meant it literally. Sure. That he never dies. Sure. So, but anyway, go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, jumping in. Really, you. really smart guy. Great storyteller. Gets invited to a bunch of banquets, uh, but allegedly never eats a thing. I guess claims to have recognized him, but from 50 years ago, but he hadn't aged a day. Um, it, it reminds me, is this like, he's like a Rasputin kind of like figure almost. I suppose. In, in some yeah. Ways, you know? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, he, like I said, he was a real person. Right. Uh, but they were, and there were a lot of stories told about him, but mm -hmm. whether or not any of them were really true, but I mean, the, the whole thing was not so much. I, the way I'd always heard it was that not that he was a vampire, but that something to do with the alchemy that had managed to keep him young. Uh -huh. This elixir of life he had, they have... Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what happened. Sure. It's, it's funny with a lot of this stuff with, you know, New Orleans becoming this vampire capital. That's all because of Anne Rice. Mm -hmm. Well, the St. Germain thing was actually, there's a series of books by an author named Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough that was, that are vampire novels mm -hmm. about St. Germain. That's when people started referring to him as a vampire, uh -huh. after she started writing her books. Uh, before that, he was always just this really mysterious character who never seemed to age, who just disappeared, vanished without a trace one day and was never seen again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of, you know, rumors and suggestions as to what might have happened. But I had never heard that he was a vampire before until more recently. Right. But they, you know, have adopted the story. OK, so enough. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you said 1902, a man named uh, Jacques St. Germain arrives, moves into a building at the corner of Ursulines and Royal. He's basically interesting we guy, but weird. Tour. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Interesting guy, but kind of weird. Uh, one night, took a woman home from a pub, throws herself from a second story window. She's covered in blood, her throat's torn open, claimed that Jacques had bit her. She later died at Charity Hospital. But when police arrived, he was gone, but <laughs> left behind wine bottles filled with human blood, which we hear about right. in a couple other stories, uh, right. one of which being the Carter brothers. So this was one of the things that we did on that vampire tour, which is, which is it was a really fun it, tour. It's a great tour. Yeah. It's a fantastic tour. It's just, you know, you don't want to take the vampire part of it 
too sure. seriously. I sure. mean, kind of the way, well, pretty much the same way we're approaching it here. Yeah, you know, is that if these things happen, that they're they're crime. They're not necessarily supernatural. Right. It's like, hey, might have bitter throat, but right, a right, but psycho. not necessarily because he yeah. thought that he was going it's, to. Live it almost seems a like in New Orleans, having vampires is just like so like extra. normal. Well, I say extra. Oh. It's like you already have <laughs> yeah. everything else. Like yeah. You really need. Well, this that's kind of the point. I mean, they'll you know any kind of alternative lifestyle is welcome in New Orleans. Sure. So why not okay. vampires? That's fair. You that's know? fair. So, well, so there are probably werewolves. There oh, too yeah, I, would that's be my guess. Is that the next so, episode? That's yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I don't know. No, I don't have any. I don't have any episodes. So the Carter brothers. So 1932, terrified young girl enters the New Orleans police station covered in blood with cut wrists. She claims that two men had kidnapped her, tied her up, drained her blood, drank it for three days. Um, she manages to get the address out of 622 St. Anne Street. I remember this spot very yeah, vividly, yeah. Uh, where the police discovered four victims. Three of them were still alive, and a fourth, a nine-year-old girl, was dead. Hid in the house, allegedly found 15 other bodies. Right, which, which blood. the funny thing about this, if this was real, I mean, if this really happened, yeah. this would be something that was in every true crime book that you ever oh, ran sure. across. And instead... It's almost impossible to find. And the only places that you can find it are in like, you know, New Orleans legends mm-hmm. kind of thing. You don't actually find this in like legitimate true crime, right. you know, things. So, you know, I think that there there could be a kernel of truth to the story. Mm-hmm. Something could have happened. But, you know, uh, well, just like Madame LaLaurie. Yes, we know that really happened. But look how it got blown up over the years. Right. And inflated and inflated and inflated. And I think that's probably what happened here because there, there really is no documentation of this either. So, we're but the, if it was a minor thing, yeah, then you know that's gotten turned into something bigger. Then I could see where. So, know. were they? Were the brothers actually executed? Then, like, is that? I don't. I can't find any record of that either. That? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm know. not sure. Got that's it. that's the problem. Okay. So, all I mean, you can find suspects. all kinds of. You can well, not even that many, but you can find like notations and stuff, and and it pops up in a few books. Mostly, it's just on the internet mm-hmm. because people are regurgitating the same stories over and over and sure. over again. But unfortunately, that's about all you can find. There's just not a lot of documentation on this, so I, I'm going to put it in the you know rather than just say it's an outright not true story, I'm going to put it in the. Um, that it's probably a legend that's gotten blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. So, so I'm not, I can't say it didn't happen, but on the other hand, I don't think it probably happened to the extent that we've got here. So, so when you're when you're doing research, whether it's to figure out if a crime was committed or a person was killed or a murder or whatever, like how much evidence do you need before you're before you say, okay, I feel comfortable moving forward with this? As well, I need I need some I need some actual documentation that it occurred. I mean, you know, we have the we have so many newspapers at our fingertips now and everything got reported, especially back, you know, anything after like 1880, everything was reported. Guys were working for the, you know, paying getting paid by the word. Why not? You sure. know, so everything got recorded in some way. Sometimes you can't find as much information as you would like, but you got to find some kind of documentation that it actually occurred. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anything to say. I mean, something like this would have made the newspaper. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. You know, even though people have tried to use that as an excuse, oh, it's, you know, the locals know, but we kept it quick. Yeah. No, it doesn't really, that doesn't really work. It's never worked. And so you've got to have something and then you can start digging from there. And then there's lots of places to go, but I need to have something. 
just some kind of documentation. So newspaper arrest records. Yeah, that that like all that helps. Papers. Yeah, execution record. I mean, there are lists of everything now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, things have gotten a lot easier. That's why a lot of stories that have been around forever are now being not necessarily debunked, but maybe rethunk, so to speak, you know, um, that maybe the stories happen, but not quite in the way that was always thought. And that's Mm -hmm. something I've always been really enjoyed doing. Not, not saying, Hey, Oh, don't believe this. It didn't happen. Just don't believe everything about it that happened because here's what really happened. Yeah. And that's, well, we try, we tried to do that all along. I mean, with every episode, but that's been a lot in New Orleans uh, this whole season. We've tried to look at it realistically, some of these stories and say, you know, this is New Orleans lore, but here's what really happened. And because I can't tell you what really happened because there's just no documentation, we mm-hmm. have to kind of wonder with some of it, if it, especially with the vampires, so yes. if it really happened at all. And a lot you know, of podcasts but, will not do that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> well, it's just, just run. I just think it's worth it fine. to do it. So A lot of the New Orleans season, from my perspective, has been tell Cody a really cool story and then at the end say, oh, by the way, no, it didn't <laughs> yeah. happen. And I'm yeah, like, well, that was our entire – All um, my notes. Our Sultan's Palace story yes. from yes. last time. That was the was, best – Yeah, it's a great story heard. and that's what I'm saying. I, I think there was something that happened but nothing like the – you know. Yes. You know, crazy blood stuff that went on. Especially, know. yeah, when I'm reading it and I skip over Troy's like, okay, this might not happen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the, get the, get the <laughs> yeah right. And then I just <laughs> do it to myself. But let's move on to what I call the 1933 murders. Uh, so two consecutive nights, women who were assumed to be prostitutes had their throats torn out and they were drained of blood. Bites looked to be human. Witnesses said might have saw a tall figure effortlessly climb a, a 12-foot fence. Have you – I wanted to ask you, have you ever heard of Spring-Heeled Jack? Yeah, that's what that reminded me yes, of Yes, okay, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it reminded me of. So uh, It's almost the know, same story. Ridiculous yeah. cryptid, yeah. yeah. Um, look up Spring-Heeled Jack. And there was a great book that came out I think last year about that was kind of a – revisiting the story yeah. uh, from a modern perspective. It was really good. I can't think of the title off the top huh. of my head, but if you go and look up Spring Hill Jack yeah. uh, in Amazon or something, you'll find that book. But it, it just came out, I'm pretty sure, last year. Is I've got just, it over there on the show. Is it just but. a crazy English inventor who was out-tested his toy? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe. That's what it it's, sounds it's, like. It does. Right? It does sound like that. It just sounds like a guy who came up with a way to put, you know, Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote right. Springs on the flames and stuff. And, you know, yeah. and, and scared people. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look look up Spring Hill Jack. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, then the, the 1984 murders. So... Um, <laughs> Nine people found in various yeah. spots of the French Quarter all dead with their throats torn out, but no blood, but also no reports. Yeah, there's no documentation. Yeah. And every every notation you find on the Internet says, but we know it really happened, even though no one reported it. But the locals know. And I'm thinking, of course. you know, it's a great story for your vampire tour. Yes. But, you know, yes, but. again, I can't find any documentation of anything like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. The 80s in New Orleans were a rough Man. era. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty rough then. And though there were a lot of murders and it wasn't a big tourist time. And, you know, we talked about that in some of our last episodes as to when the 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 the, the Everything sort of flipped and New Orleans became all about tourism and not about, you know, industrialization and that kind of thing. And it was, you know, during and those food years where they tried to dumb everything down. We talked about that during our food episode. And they were trying to, to get all the hot food out because they wanted to. And that was an era where they were doing anything to get people there. So, yes, they would have tried to keep this fairly quiet, but not completely non-existent. Sure, exactly. There's no record. There were a couple of murders that took place 
in 78. That was as close as I was able to find of anything even like this. And even mm-hmm. then, nobody suspected it to be a vampire. But right. Whatever. You know, yeah. it's a it's it's a story. It adds to the lore. Um, it's fun. You know, it's 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 some interesting stuff. And I I kind of got when I got to this point, I'm like, wait a minute. Why not vampires? Yeah. Because we haven't talked about them. And while it's not ghosts and it's not necessarily murders, although it does seem to have some true crime yeah, mixed yeah. in, um, I thought we needed to get it in here. So that's how we ended up with a half a podcast about vampires. Damn, I'm mad about so, it. Do you have any v- books on vampires? I got quite a few. What the hell? I mean, that I haven't I haven't written them. No, that's what I meant. Although my, the Boneyard book that's coming out has a whole section about American vampires. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, we'll but not, not, not New Orleans, but these were like old school vampires that were around in the 19th century, but it has a whole okay. chapter on it. All right, I say vampires, I think are probably my favorite, what, monsters, cryptid, oh, yeah. whatever you want to call them. I mean, cool. they're just, I don't know, they're all, well, you know, they're like romanticized and stuff, but it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It Speaking is of romanticizing vampires. Well, and again, it's one of those things that, that got started for a reason. I mean, there's a yeah. reason that we have stories about vampires and werewolves and things like that, because sure. there is a reason why people believed in those things. I mm-hmm. mean, something happened to make them believe. And so I've always found them interesting too. Well, it's so. interesting now that I think about it, it's like the way we've talked about, like, do people see crazy things and then make up stories to like rationalize like ghosts and things like that? Why wouldn't they do that for things well, that sure. aren't dead? You yeah, know? And yeah, they're just try, yeah. trying to rationalize things. Um, or maybe they're real monsters. I don't know. I think all <laughs> monsters are people, but anyway. But speaking of romanticizing vampires, let's talk about Anne Rice I mentioned her before. <laughs> Interview with a Vampire Drops in 1976, puts New Orleans on the vampire map. Um, I have the book, never read it, got it at Goodwill. It's good. I've, I hear good things. It's I've good. seen the movie. I, I really liked, um, I, I kind of got away from it after a while, but I really liked the first one and I really liked the Vampire Lestat. I really liked both of yeah. those. Those were my favorites of the bunch. Um, but I can understand how it appealed, especially when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a time period. That was the, the beginning of like the, you know, beginning of the goth punk movements. Oh, and sure. so people were really into that stuff and then vampire Lestat came out in the 80s and that was really heavy goth and so it was a natural progression to turn to vampires mm-hmm. and there is still a really strong vampire market in new orleans uh, i mean not nec- not even just the tour like we know but yeah there are shops there's a boutique of vampires in town nice store uh, in fact my friend renee makes stuff for them for she lives in arizona but she makes stuff for their shop. So, I mean, it's a, there's still a heavy market for it. There's still a guy who makes fangs in the city. I mean, they, because there is definitely a market for it. Yes. And back in the nineties, I mean, it's faded some, but back in the nineties, it was a big, big deal. deal. And uh, the, the dungeon, dungeon? Yeah, yeah. That dungeon. did you ever go to the dungeon? Oh yeah, I've been to the dungeon a million times. Tell but me about I, the I know I keep saying I'm going to take you guys there, but Lisa never wants to go when we're down there. I'll but go. I'll have to take some of you guys there, but it's, um, it's a super, I mean, we would now, now we would think of it as like a goth place, but sure. they, you know, tourists can go in. It's fine. If you know where it's at, yeah. you got to find it. I mean, there's okay. a sign, but then you got to go through this dark alleyway to get back in there. And then yeah. you go downstairs is one part. And then you go upstairs where the bar and the dance floor and everything is, but downstairs where the bathrooms are. And I always tell everybody this, I think I told you about it Probably. before we, and we didn't ended up not making it. And last time we were there and the bathrooms are hidden behind bookcases. Oh, I did. I mean, I yeah. remember reading yeah. that. So if it's outlet. busy, there's usually somebody there kind of letting people in and out. But if it's not busy, you just, 
you find the book. You got to find the bookcase. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it was always a cool place. And it's, I mean, it's still there. They still do good business. So there's enough of a crowd, but it really late, it gets, uh, it's more of this crowd Mm -hmm. really late at night. Is it like the bar in like uh, Constantine? Like, that's oh, I wouldn't go that far, but it is, it, it's, it's, I guess it's along those lines, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Well, I, I hope that one day we get to go back. Yeah. I'll I can check to, it out. I'll have to show you where, well, we've, we've been by it a hundred times. Well, cool. I know you just don't yeah, know where it is, but and too many of those hand grenades or whatever <laughs> it is. I don't know. Uh, okay. So let's steer away from vampires a little bit and let's get into some, the other story that you tied in here. Let's talk about the new Orleans trunk murders. So New Orleans in the 1920s, as you mentioned, is a very different place. French Quarter is mostly a working class neighborhood. And then on Thursday, October 27th, 1927, uh, Nettie Compass entered a second floor apartment at 715 Ursuline Street and just immediately sees blood. Calls the police. Police find bodies of two young women chopped up in traveling trunks. Expertly butchered. Expertly butchered, which will come in handy later, yes. And there's blood everywhere and a little collection of severed fingers on the floor, which is nice and tidy. Um, and there's also a wedding ring in one of the victims. It's like somehow got wedged into her back somehow. Yeah, does it so. somehow happen? Yeah. I mean, things My guess is they probably with the fingers flying everywhere, he probably rolled the body <laughs> over and the, the ring got wedged into her back. Got it, so. got it. So That's not, my guess. Not it happens to me all the time. I was going to say, do you know from experience? Like, uh, so not much is known about the two women, uh, Teresa and Leonard. Leonard Moiti. Moiti. There you go. They were married to two brothers, uh, Joseph and Henry. Uh, much of what we know comes from essentially a, a bloodstained rejection letter accompanied by a semi-autobiographical account yeah. she tried to publish. Yeah. Which was really a fairy story because it wasn't real. I mean, it was that was, that it was about her. The, the semi-autobiographical oh, okay. story she had written. So she did write it, though. About her leaving her husband and going off and finding another really husband sad. and children and was finally happy because her husband was such a creep. And most of the rest of the stuff we know about these two girls came from interviews that the husbands gave to the newspapers and in court and to the police about how horrible they were and how they cheated on them and how they didn't take care of their kids. Right. And this was just a couple of guys who, well, obviously one of them is a complete whack job and the other bad. one is just kind of a jerk. Yes. Uh, so it was, it's two young, very young, very unhappy women who are stuck with a couple of guys. I mean, remember the last line or one of the last lines of her story is be careful for marriage is a life sentence, which yep. it was in the 1920s to young Catholic Italian girls. Yes. And I imagine she probably dreamed of either leaving her husband or killing her husband. Who knows? But maybe he got to her first. <laughs> I don't know. But boy, he did a job on her. He that's did. for sure. No, marriage so. sounds great. Um, so neighbors reported bitter fights over money, constant accusation of infidelity, wild drinking bouts in the household. Um, so they immediately, of course, you go to the husbands and things. And Joseph turns himself in, but Henry takes a different approach. Yeah, bails. Goes on the run. Um, eventually they find him. They bring him in. And Nettie testified that she remembered Henry pulling her aside and whispering not to be scared if Nettie and her family heard <laughs> yeah. the children crying in the early morning. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. way to set yourself up. Uh, did we mention he was a butcher's assistant? Right, right. Which, important part of the story there. Yeah, so yeah. the two murders, you said they're tried separately by two different judges. Is this common? I, not to me. I've never Lawyers? heard of such a thing before. This this guy murdered two women. We're going to ask Kaylin because yes. she's an attorney. This these two guys or this guy killed his wife and his sister allegedly. Well, he actually did because he confessed, but they put him on trial for two separate cases 
in before two different judges for the separate murders, even happen? though we committed them at the same time. Um, is that normal? I, don't, I wouldn't say it's normal, but neither is, you know, murdering people. So, well, I know, but well, I don't know. I, in, in this country, I'd call it normal, but, um, he, it was a wife, his wife and his sister-in-law. And then they put him on trial for first degree murder for each of them, but in separate trials. And then he got two concurrent life sentences. I think you could, I guess, petition the court for whatever you would like. That would be Weird. my lawyer answer, which means it's a non-answer. Yeah, answer. right. And we right. owe her $400. Yeah, right. Just for that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I don't know. I just thought it was very strange, but I thought, well, whatever. Yeah. You know? it did, as it turns out, it doesn't really matter anyway. Found so, guilty sentences, yeah. two life sentences. Um, eventually he escapes because he gets well, commissions and stuff. Yeah, they, they made him a trustee at the prison like six years after he went in and then uh he decides to one day on his way to the post office Fuck up. just <laughs> just peace out and, and he's caught in st louis and they found him in st louis that's right yeah that's right he went to chicago i guess he took the train he took the train to chicago but my guess is that it was the train i mean i even know the illinois central train runs right up what's now interstate 55 yeah so he probably made it to st louis and got off the train and that's where they found him a couple of years later and sent him back to prison. Well, my favorite part about this, this is a guy who murdered his wife and his sister-in-law. Not only did he murder them, but he bludgeoned them to death and then chopped them up to piece in pieces and put them into steamer trunks. So my guess was that he planned to come back to the apartment, clean the place up and mail the trunk somewhere. Now I, I uh. tell you this because that was done several different times. Yeah. Through the late 19th century and into the 20th century, that was like, Something that I can I can think of like at least three or four other murders that happened the same way where they yeah. mailed them off to places. So that's probably what he was going to do. So he put a lot of thought into this. Is yeah, my point. So they put him in jail. Six years later, after he goes in, they make him a trustee. A couple of years after that, he just takes a hike and doesn't come back. And the superintendent of the prison said, ah, oh, well, screw yeah. it. He'll be back. He's already served 16 years. I'm sure he's going to want to get out soon. And he was. He would had already been trying to get a pardon because he was drunk at the time he committed the murders. Yeah, I've tried. Well, this was a different time, work. man. But and then they caught him in 46, sent him back. And then the next year, the pardon board recommended his release. He yes. served 21 years total. Well, he served 19 years total because two of them He's he didn't run. serve at all. That is ridiculous. Because he butchered those. I mean, that's not even normal. So if you butcher somebody, isn't that like a class X felony? Dismemberment after the felony? Well, that wasn't class X back then. They didn't well, have I'm asking now, now. but if you get tacked on, right? So Cody's wanting to know if he decides so to cut someone up I've into killed, pieces. If I dismember Again, we're murder. asking our legal expert yes. on staff here Allegedly. at the American Actually, Audience I don't Podcast. have any more money. I can't. I yeah. can't. Don't answer. We that. can't afford to pay her. But, we can't afford you know. it. Um, so, but who moves? It's a pro bono answer. Is what she <laughs> and she drove me here. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. He moves. So he moves to California, and then everything's all good. And oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Oh, he whoops. shoots. He shoots, then he his, shoots girlfriend. his girlfriend. But he only gets five fucking years. But like, wouldn't wouldn't they look at his past history? And well, like, you would think so. Is you that would think the records so. just not transferred? No, it should have. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. But he got five years. Well, she didn't die. So that's, that it was probably just assault because, and he could have said he was, probably said he was drunk and he probably was and the gun went off and punctured her lung, but she survived. So he got sent to Folsom prison. (laughs) I know. 
there, I so heard there's a song about that. So and um, yeah, assault, assault with a deadly weapon. So it really was an attempted murder. So he only got five years, but while he was in prison, he had a stroke and died. Yeah, so, 1957. Gee, what year. a shame. I know. So. Uh, well, okay, move on to a lighter topic. Maybe the sausage goes. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so Mr. and Mrs. Hans Mueller. Well, and that's that's what everybody compared it to, or they talked yes. about it because he chopped her up. Yes. And he lived literally two doors down yes. from, from the sausage factory, yes. which is a famous story. So they opened uh, the sausage factory a few doors down from where uh, this family lived. And the story is that Hans kills his wife and made sausages out of her body. Customer finds a wedding ring inside. Yeah, and actually, I said, and I said, bit into a piece of meat. Actually, what happened was they had taken the sausage <laughs> okay, yes, please and don't. thrown it into the frying pan and were cooking it up, right? Took it all out, sat down to have dinner. And they were like, you know, regular, like, like a, what are those things you like? Links? What, what, what? No, no, no. A brat. Like a brat. Oh, yeah. Like a brat yeah, horse. Yeah. So he fried them up, sat down at the table. They cut into it. Guy puts it in his mouth. What the hell? Yeah. You know, but it was but not uncommon at that time to find like bones and stuff in your sausage oh, yeah. because God knows what that stuff's made from. Yeah. So he actually bites down and it turns out to be a wedding ring and it's got this woman's mm. name inscribed inside. So he was actually eating Mrs. Mueller and his brat. And um, they contacted the police. Well, it turned out he'd been selling her out of the butcher shop for weeks. Did, I mean, there had been several this, weeks. Have to this? Yes, this is a true story. Uh. Had been selling her for weeks. Now, this is not, and again, this is one of those stories that is not um, just for New Orleans. I mean, there is a, yeah, yeah. A, the, the sausage factory store in Chicago, which we'll get to that season. And that's going to be a whole thing. Chicago I love that story. Now, he didn't actually Chicago turn season. his wife into sausage, but that was the rumor that went around. Okay. Um, he no actually just, he actually just, well, nobody will remember by the time we get to I, that, but he boiled her down in a sausage vat and like all the excess. But back then in Chicago, Sausage really was made from whatever you had left. Yeah, sure. So they always said that he didn't actually serve his wife, but it did actually affect the. This has always been the big thing. Oh it's, it's the only murder in Chicago history that affected the sales of a food throughout an entire <laughs> summer in 1897 is because everyone thought that Louisa had been turned into sausages. Got she it. hadn't. Mrs. Mueller, on the other hand, actually had huh. so his customers had been eating her for you know every time they bought meat for a couple of weeks at least because he ground her up so yeah yeah no it sounds yeah. oh it's terrible um geez okay so <laughs> after that um her ghost was said to have driven um, her husband insane right probably because the terrible things that he did um, and then the new owner of the building. Eventually. You don't think he might have been a little crazy to start well, with? I mean, he murdered his wife and turned her into sausage and sold her hold on. to people. I mean, that that's implies a strategy. Little, yeah, that's he, a little you know, crazy to start with. It, so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So probably a combination. Let's go 50-50. <laughs> um, so the new owner also of the building also sees her ghost. But then the ghost stops appearing after Hans uh, commits suicide at the asylum. Uh, so also felt the dead as well. I guess. Um, but then Henry had also he threatened the man who. And uh, this is why the story yes. got brought yes. back. Yes. So by the bring it back to the truck yeah. murder. So Henry threatened the man who he uh, whom he believed his wife was cheating on, saying, "If I ever get my hands on that Joe Caruso," he said, "I'll chop him up into little pieces, not big pieces like my wife, but little <laughs> pieces. My God, I'll make him look like something that's been run through a sausage mill." Right. 
And so that's it all ties back, just making people. Yeah, well, system. and that's, I mean, the newspapers ate that up. Yeah, of course. So to speak. Yeah, come on. Uh, come on. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a pandemic. It is so, a pun. You know what? Yeah. I'll give it to you. I appreciate it. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, it's, it's now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre or sausage making or whatever, email us at AmericanHollingsPodcast at gmail. Did you say sausage making? Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't even write that prompts down anymore. I just have <laughs> yeah. it in my brain so I can just do whatever and read it. So our first uh, message comes to us from Tanya. The subject is New Orleans. says, love you guys. Want to let you know um, about the shorter buildings in the French Quarter. Um, a tour guide when we were there several years ago told us that buildings were not allowed to be taller than a church steeple, so nothing could be taller than St. Louis Cathedral. Makes sense. Which is kind of what I thought, yeah. but I didn't know. By the way, it originally... Hotel Monteleone. Well, so, you know, I mean, it was exceptions, but by the way, it originally left because um, Sam was so bad. It came back for the New Orleans season. I'm very glad I did keep it up. You might be disappointed with this one, but hey, um, thank yeah, you. I don't that. think it'll be that bad. I don't think it'll be that we'll, bad. We'll see either, what but, we can do. But, we had some issues this time, so we'll yes. apologize now at the end of the episode yeah. for what may be some sound issues. Yeah, and also Tony, I just had issues for like the whole <laughs> four seasons we've done this, but we're, we're trying to figure it out. But thank you so much for writing in. Uh, this next one's from Kathy. It says, Troy and Cody, um, have you researched the Anderson Ho uh, Hotel on 118 South Main Street? Lawrenceville, Kentucky. Um, I'm sure you've more than heard of it. I have no idea. Um, can't find historical researching other than it used to be a flop house in the 70s and 80s, a fire in the mid 70s, the suicides, and all the paranormal things that supposedly happened there. I'm no fool who take paranormal lockdown at face value and not childish enough to think that just because it's featured on a ghost show, it's totally legit. I soon have hit a brick wall when it came to my research. Well, that's, that's that should be a here. that should be that's a, a red, red flag. flag right there. So do you do you chase threads for so long and you're just like okay, yeah when you done. finally keep chasing the read just because it was something that was on a TV show. And I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a criticism of her. She did all the right things, right. but sometimes you'll th see these things come up and you'll think, wow, that really sounds interesting. I'm going to look into that. And when you can't find anything mm -hmm. that should tell you that this was something that, um, you know, might have some mild activity that was brought up for a show sure. and they have inflated the hell It'd out be a of bigger it deal to turn it into something bigger than it right. is. That's not always the case. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never researched it. I've never okay. tried to research it. Fair. Um, but if she, it sounds like that she has, and if she can't find anything, mm -hmm. that's, that's usually a bad sign. No, that's fair. You know? It's usually we, when we do stuff, like we talk about changing stuff for websites and things, we're always like, okay, no one's doing this. So are we either the first, the pioneers, right. or right. people realize it's a bad idea and so we shouldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of those things. And also it's uh, the email says Kathy Gaskin and at the bottom it says Alan Gaskin. So Gaskins, here's your answer. I don't know which one of you is emailing yeah, us. Yeah, I'm not sure, but we'll, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't I don't have any information about it, but it sounds like she's done the right things. Mm -hmm. What you need? We got right. What you need? It was time to stand up. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I thought okay, you were lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks you were going to jump in. Yeah, no, it seemed like you were going to ask When you walk into your parents' bedroom and tell them you threw up all over yourself. Cody <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, still does that. <laughs> it's I a really fun one. I feel like I'm going to wear my pants. Are we almost to the end? Yeah, we are. Almost <laughs> we are. I have one more email and then Patreon shout outs and then. So this last email comes to us from Amber and uh, the subject is all caps. It says, oh my God, what have I done? So I immediately was like, okay, what happened? She started listening to the show. Yes, it's like, what have I done to myself? Uh, so it says, I came across your podcast in my search and sweet baby Jesus, I was not disappointed. Not only do I love listening, I just started today and I'm pretty sure I'll be binging until further notice, but you have some awesome merch 
all caps, and there are books. Yes, there are yeah, hundreds. Of sur- I'm literally surrounded right now by hundreds of books. Um, you have no idea how much I love a good paranormal book. I'm so freaking excited. You guys are fantastic, and I can't wait to hear all of these episodes. And uh, do some shopping and because and become a patron. Uh, so I guess this is Hey Y'all from the teeny tiny, teeny tiny town of Ward, Arkansas. God bless, guys. Do we know Ward, Arkansas? I do not. I have no idea, but apparently it's a teeny tiny town. We have a big fan there. I only know one town or two towns in Arkansas, and I know like three people that live there. Okay. That's about it. So, but now I know another one. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amber. Again, that's American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. I just want to give a quick shout out to some of our uh, latest uh, patron supporters. So, this I want to give a shout out to Joshua, Dawn, Logan, uh, Christina, Tatiana, and Tanya. So, thank you so much for supporting the show. You really help us. Just keep doing this, especially yeah. in the crazy state hiring is going. <laughs> well, thanks a bit. Yeah, yeah, so we really, really appreciate it. All right. Well, I guess then we will kind of wrap things up for this week. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for your reviews. Thanks for your emails and things. Thanks for all the support you've given. Uh, it's been great when we've gotten like book orders and stuff. People will add in there. Uh, really love the podcast. They'll put it in there as a comment or something. Aww. It's really great. You never um, pass that on to me. Ever. Well, I know, but it's just stuff that comes in. So it's it means a lot to us. Um, keep an eye on the Troy Taylor page uh, and over the next week or so. Uh, we'll have more details about what we've got going on June 27th. Uh, with our all day thing. And um, listen, July, August, uh, we've got dinners and events uh, making their comeback. Finally, Uh, we'll be back among the living and getting out of this, uh, this funk we've been in for the last few months. So um, anyway, guys, thanks for listening. And we will be in touch next time. And no, I don't know how many more episodes there are. And I don't know what's going to be next. I gave up. Nor do I know what's going to be next time because I'm still trying to figure that out. So Uh, but we'll have something for you in two weeks. So come back. Listen then. Yeah. No. And I mean, things will get back to normal eventually. We will finish this season. But honestly, I've been up for 12 hours. So <laughs> I'm just going to call it 12 how, whole hours. It's four. It's four <laughs> he makes it's, it sound like, you I know, it's four. Oh, my God. I've been up for 12 hours today. And I'm, it's like, dude, that's not, you I've know, been up since four thirty. really that long. Up like 18 in a normal day. So I've been up since 4.30 a.m. Troy? Okay. Well, Troy? I know, but still. 12 hours at four or at five is that? Well, maybe you should phrase that I've been up since 4.30 in the morning instead of I've been up for 12 hours. I want you because to Because 12 that. hours just doesn't really sound that long. Okay. That's kind of my point. Everything's relative. You know what? I was just, <laughs> you know, I was going to skip this, but no, I'm not. So this episode of American Holly's podcast was written by Troy Taylor. And oh, God, what have I done? By Cody Beck. In each bi-weekly episode, I try not to get pissed off, and we try to combine <laughs> history, folklore, legend, imagination, and the truth to reveal more about America's most haunted places, strange tales, explained events and how long I've been awake. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you find your favorite shows and at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com where we also have show notes more about the episodes and links to from American Hauntings. I was just trying to make you not do sound a little cooler. I've been up for 12 hours. It's not really that impressive. That's all I'm saying. Chicks like numbers. Days days on 24 hours. AmericanHauntings.net And if you want even more from us, you can become a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. You can get bonus episodes of the show, t-shirts, what's that discounts great stuff in the mail and more thanks to our supporters we have upgraded our equipment for the show and with continued help from you we can dedicate more time and resource to creating even more shows in the future take a minute and check it out we think you'll like what you find at patreon.com slash and actually we, that's been something that during the quarantine talk has been me. nice we've got, we got a lot talk to well me. i'm just saying we've had a lot of new patreon we really have during the quarantine 
I guess again, I, mad about it's, I think it's a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. We've got people oh, we got that, so in crazy. a captive audience it's and they have nothing else to do. So now they'll, they'll regret it later, but now, you know, during the quarantine has been great. So uh, yes, anyway, but be sure to get in touch I just been when they're rescued. That's all I've been. So. About the show, suggestions, reviews, jokes, commentary on Troy's comments, or just want to tell us what you really think about us. We're reachable via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Carrier Pigeon, bunch of other crazy Telegrams. Shit. Telegrams. I'm still on the Telegram thing. Candygram. Oh, Landshark. Only for Valentine's Day. Was it Landshark? Was that what he was? When he come to the door? It was on Saturday Night Live. He knocked on the door. Was it Landshark? No. Yeah, that's Jimmy down the wrong decade. I don't remember. It was before mine too, but he used to be a shark and come to the door. That was before. I mean, I don't think I was supposed to be watching that. That's how long ago it was. If anyone knows this, I can't remember. Saturday Night Live. But it was funny. Someone should write in and I'll send it. It was some kind of shark. If somebody was at the door, he would knock on the door. Send us a video of Landshark Saturday Night Live. I don't know if it's Landshark. That's Jimmy Buffett's beer. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, then that's a song. That's the they song. Fins. That's the that's the fins. Yeah. I, I would take Land Shark. It's good beer. It's not bad um, beer. But I'm not sure he was a shark. But it was like candy gram. He would always say, "Yeah," but he'd knock. He'd say it was a candy gram, and he'd say all kinds of stuff. He was say, a shark. No, it, but it was a shark. It was a shark. Uh, but I can't I remember what it was called. Video first, I'll send them yeah. One time, I had a party at my mom's house, and what I used to do was I'd clean up a little bit just so I'd throw beer stuff away but I didn't want to make it too clean because I don't want to get caught right but I left one land shark beer tab like a <laughs> bottle on a uh, bookshelf my mom found it she grounded me for a month that's the only thing I left she's like we don't know where this came from or anything it's got to be you so land shark just ruined me <laughs> land shark lager it yes. ruined your life it ruined my life so well, anyway it's pretty good beer. send us that video send us what's yeah, going on yeah let it us out. know what it is because i can't remember i can't remember anyway until next time we could look it up we have these things that you are know, like connect to the if internet only right? there was a way i know if only there was a way to Goodbye. research these things so long see you later see ya I'll see if people actually do listen to all the way at the end this time. They'll actually have something to listen and to. And it's whoever the first one is. So, Cody, you'll have to let me know. Yes. Just forward it to me. And I'll okay. Let me see.